it is great to see you. Great to be back. And, uh, and I just want to give a big thanks to the staff. Uh, man, they just, uh, the ability to be able to kind of do some of this rhythm and be able to do what I do, I would not be able to do that without those, those individuals, those guys and gals. And I get to tune in and watch and I know I sound old, tune in, right? You don't tune in online, but you watch online. I get it. So, um, but to be able to do that uh, and just, uh, just want to say a big thank you to all the staff members. Can we give our staff a big hand? Seriously, they serve, they work, they go and do. And uh, for those of you that may be new, I, I, I've been here for almost 19 years. And so one of the things that I did kind of the four or five years in was I was talking to some guys that had been pastoring for 30, 40 years. And I said, what's the secret of staying someplace a long time? And they said, getting away. Uh, if you get away and you kind of replenish yourself, you recharge your batteries, you kind of do that, it will help you in the long haul. And so this has been a practice in about July uh, it's probably the most spotty month as far as people are coming and going and doing. And, and, and so I just try to get away a few weeks in that amount of time. And it just, it's great for me. It's great for the family. It's just great for, for the rhythm. And, but, but I, I'm excited. And so I preached, I, I preached long, uh, the first service. So three middle school girls that are working in Life Kids, I made a bet with them that I would buy Starbucks if my sermon was longer this service than last service. So... And they're like, well, please go long, please go long. <laughs> yeah, because you just want free Starbucks. So I'm not gonna do that because I'm, I'm too tight for that. But, uh, but I do, as, as we get ready today to talk about today's message, uh, I just wanted just a couple of quick updates. Uh, we're continuing to, to enlist people to become prayer partners. We've had several hundreds of you guys uh, sign up and say, hey, I wanna be a prayer partner. I just kinda wanna be connected in that way and I wanna pray and you can count on me to pray. And if you've not yet done that, you literally can just text to 97,097,000 prayer partner. And then we will get you connected that way and do that because I want you to be a part of what's happening. Uh, as we come into the fall, we're gonna do an old school revival this fall in September. So if you've been in church where that happened, you'll know a little bit what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, then hang on. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, but uh, in September the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, that's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's no Packer game. I checked all the schedules. Everything's great. And, but we're going to be doing what we're calling a road trip revival. There's going to be more information, but I want to give you that date. So you can write that down, be there, be a part. And so we've got four physical campuses. So we're going to go to all four of those physical campuses and we're going to have a different speaker every night. So Monday night is going to be at the Brookfield campus and Chad Brugman, uh, who teaching pastor, founding pastor uh, from Red Rocks Church in, in Denver, Colorado, church of about 17, 18,000, very young family, young adult church. Uh, they're coming. Chad's going to be here with us and going to be speaking on, on Monday night. On Tuesday night, uh, Al Toledo from Chicago Tabernacle. So he planted a church uh, in the south side of Chicago uh, Al's African-American group in Brooklyn, New York. His father-in-law is Jim Simbola, the pastor of the great Brooklyn Tabernacle Church there and choir. They're going to be with us on Tuesday night at the Milwaukee campus. Then on Wednesday here at the Germantown campus, we're going to have uh, Pastor Sammy Rodriguez. Sammy Rodriguez is the president of the National Evangelical Hispanic Association, has been a 
has been basically a, an advisor to every president since Clinton. Uh, New York Times bestselling author. I don't know, I had to call in several favors to get this, but he's going to be here. I was in a meeting that he was in for about 10 minutes and I was like, who is that? I need to meet this guy. And there will come a day where we get to have him at Life Church. And so he's gonna be here. And then Thursday night's gonna wind up at, at Appleton. Matter of fact, I'm renting a bus. I'm taking the entire staff family. Again, this is road trip revival. And we're all going to Appleton and Alton Garrison, an old time revivalist is gonna kind of end our our week together. So you want to be a part. If you come to all four services, we're going to give you a free road trip revival, like t-shirt, like you're part of the band kind of a deal, right? Amen. And so anyhow, it's going to be a lot of fun, but, but we're just going to, it's going to be preaching, prayer, and, and, uh, and, 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 and worship. That's it. It's not an alt. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a, an offering. It's not a, it's literally we just really want to, as my grandmother would say, get a hold of the horns of the altar and see God do something great. In our church, in our city, and in our state, and I really believe this is what's, what God has put on my heart, that part of what we're going to do is we get into this fall. So I'm super excited about that, super excited about what God's doing and want you to be a part. And so anyhow, I've got more things to share with you and more vision than what you know what to do with. Uh, and, uh, but I'm going to get right into today's message. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. This week I'm talking about it's comfort or compassion you choose comfort or compassion you choose. And so I want to share with you a familiar parable of scripture. If you've been around church at all, you have heard this. Maybe if you haven't been in church, you probably have heard the, this, this, um, this, this parable but it sets up, Jesus responds and gives this parable, this story with meaning, when he's asked, who is my neighbor? And who, who, who's my neighbor? Now, when you think about that just for a minute, that, that word neighbor is pretty loaded. So just, let's just talk about our state and, and our world for a minute. So the state of Wisconsin, there are 6 million people approximately that live in this great state of Wisconsin. The largest state, excuse me, the largest city in our state is Milwaukee. Milwaukee proper is around 655,000 with the metro area being probably one to 1.5 million, depends on how far you go out on the metro. So it's the largest populace in our state. So when you think about Milwaukee and you think about Germantown, you think about Brookfield, you think about, uh, you know, uh, Mequon, you, 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 you think about even, even some of the North Shore suburbs of Whitefish Bay and Fox Point, what, who are our neighbors? So in Germantown, is, is our neighbor uh, Menominee Falls or is it Milwaukee? Is it Franklin? What, how far does our neighbor go? We know it doesn't go to Illinois, right? No, I'm just teasing, right? So anybody, are you guys awake? Okay. So, so, so the deal is, if you're from Illinois, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to get people to pay attention. Okay, so who's your neighbor? Brookfield, is Milwaukee your neighbor? Is, 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 is Brookfield the neighbor to Germantown? Who's our neighbor? Appleton. Appleton. We, we have a campus in Appleton. And so, so that is Milwaukee even the neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And Jesus addresses this question in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But Luke chapter 10, Jesus has asked this question by religious leaders of the day. Who, who's my neighbor? He responds this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. 
Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, that phrase right there, he had compassion, in verse number 33, is, that's the operative phrase in this entire, entire parable. I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. Verse 34. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, poured in the oil and the wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Verse 35. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked. He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, Go and do Likewise, who is my neighbor? This parable gives a fresh perspective on that question. So the first thing I want you to notice is that compassion is more than an observation. Compassion is more than an observation. So Jesus is teaching that it's impossible for you to be my follower and passively observe. It's impossible for you to be my follower and passively observe. So in this story with meaning, he, he sets up the priest and the priest is on his way to do his priestly religious duties. And he sees this man, he, he, he sees him, he doesn't know, we don't know anything about the man other than he's been beaten by robbers and left for dead. So the, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, which if you were with me in Jerusalem or, or on the Israel trip uh, back in uh, 18 months ago, we, we, we were right there in that passage, in that, in that whole area. And you can see Jericho in a distance and then Jerusalem is, is back the other direction. This would have been a, a, a pretty traversed area of, of ground. And at the same time, it also was very treacherous. Uh, open roadways were, were places where robbers would hide out and so forth and so on and rob people. And so this would be something that would happen from time to time. It'd be like seeing somebody, uh, like a car on the side of the road that had been broken down. You, if you drive from here to Green Bay, you're probably going to see a couple of cars with a, a state trooper tag on, on the front windshield, basically saying you need to move your car in a certain amount of time. It's just, it just happens. This is one of those things. So you have this priest who is this religious guy, this pastor, and he's doing this. And, and then you got the Levite, who's also part of the religious establishment. Two different areas and two different ways, but, but the idea is that they're both people, of church people in essence, for our context. And, 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 and for the priest, if the priest touches or comes in contact with a body that's deceased, he has to go through ceremonial cleansing, which is up to seven days. So it's, about, it's a thing about convenient. To be like me on my way here to preach and seeing somebody that's just bloody and beaten laying on the side of the road and going, I'm just going to call someone when I get there because I don't have time to do that. Plus, I'm going to get that on me and then I've got to go preach and how do I explain that? So me going and sitting on the platform and preaching is more important than me ministering to that one person. That's what it would be equivalent to. The Levite would be much the same. It'd be somebody who would be connected with church and would know the things of God and all these kinds of deals, but yet they go to the other side. They don't even want to be near. They don't even want to be around. They don't want to be in proximity to. It's very important. They don't want to be near. When Jesus says, and the priest walked on the other side. Nearness is an important part of this. And then there's a Samaritan. Now the Samaritan was, was half Jew, half Gentile. So a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, basically. So most all of us in this room are Gentiles, if not all of us. And so Jewish men in that day, and even to today, Orthodox would, would still would pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not a, a Jew, 
excuse me, think you that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. It's all same level. Again, don't email me if you need to about that. My email is rcoggins at lifechurchwi.com. So this is what, so again, it was just like, there's just this disdain. And so, so the Samaritans were rejected by the Jews because they weren't 100% Jewish blood. And they weren't, they, they, and they were rejected by the Gentiles because the snobbery and the, and the kind of uppityness of, the, of that Jewish mindset was very repulsive. And so these, it was very much like they were in no man's land. They, they were their own group. And it's important that you understand that Jesus chooses someone who's rejected by everybody to be the good Samaritan, to be that which is good. And when you watch in scripture and you see that phrase, good, we look at good as, it's a kind of okay. It's like, eh, it's a B plus, maybe a B minus. No, no, good in scripture is the highest. It's A, a plus, plus, plus. Remember when God in the, in the beginnings, God made, created the heavens and the earth and he created the first day and he said it was good and the second day and it was good. When you see that, that descriptor of something, that's at a whole nother high level standard. He's elevating this person who's rejected by everybody to the highest standard. Above the priest, which was chosen by God, above the Levite, which was born into that tribe. And this priest doesn't do anything. This Levite doesn't do anything. They ignore the need, but the Samaritan meets the need. Now, let me say something here. And I'm gonna get into weeds for just for a minute, but just hold on and just listen to what I'm saying. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Sympathy is really pretty worthless, to be honest with you. It doesn't help anybody. Empathy, that's a word that we use today. We, empathy is, I'm just gonna kind of get into your shoes and just kind of feel what you feel. And that's what the world would say. We just need to be empathetic with one another. We need to be empathetic in these times. And, and I understand that, and I'm not dismissive of that. But there's more. This is the word compassion. And I want you to see this. It's in verse 33. He had compassion. Compassion goes beyond feeling sorry. Compassion goes beyond feeling for someone and being in their shoes. Compassion does something about the problem. This is where I want to juxtaposition just a minute. The empathetic view of the world and the compassion view of scripture. Remember, there is good and evil in this world. There is God who is supreme and above all, and there's none above him or beside him, only below him. And there's the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, that goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you believe the Bible, you know that these two worlds, these two ideologies, these two powers, although they are not equal because God is supreme, but they are still, they're still kind of juxtapositions against each other. And so God would say, when you see someone who is bloody and beaten and hurt, you have compassion upon them. You do something about it. The world would say, just be empathetic. See, empathy stops. Empathy doesn't require me to do anything. Empathy just requires me to give you some energy and some time and to listen. But the Bible says, no, that, that's a good place to start. But let's go beyond that. Let's, 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 get, let's, let's take this bloody half-beaten person and let's put them onto our own beast. Let's put them into our car, which means we have to clean it up. And let's take them to, to a place and let's clean them up. And let's you and I pour in the oil and the wine, which is the antiseptic and, 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 and that which is going to heal them and cleanse them. Let's you and I be there with them for the next critical hours. And then let's make sure that they're not left alone, that they don't go back to the same position. Let's help them go along. 
Compassion is way more powerful than empathy. But that's the reason why you don't hear compassion talked about. Compassion isn't what's being talked about in Washington. Compassion is what's being talked about in Madison. Compassion, because compassion doesn't, because compassion changes things. Empathy, we just have conversations. We just have talks. Great starting point. But gee, oh, it's really good. Thanks, babe. It's really good. My, my wife just said amen on that on the front row. The point is, I want you to get this. This ideology of compassion it goes beyond just digging a water well somewhere or, or doing something good. But compassion moves us beyond a bunch of do-gooders to gospel-centric, life-changing works. When God flows through you or me to touch someone else who's broken and, and in need, all of a sudden purpose is created, life is created because it's compassion. It goes beyond sympathy, just feeling sorry. It goes beyond empathy. Let me feel what you feel. It makes me do something. I want you to catch that. Second thing is that compassion requires a redefining of the word neighbor. Compassion requires a redefining of the word neighbor. The parable redefines who our, neighbor are, who are, who our neighbors are. They, they're not just people that look like you, not just people that live where you live, not just people that drive what you drive or vote how you vote. Amen? Woo. Hopefully online you're saying amen with that. The Samaritans were sworn enemies of the Jews. We unpack that. But neighbor, the Gospel of Luke would have been written in Greek in the original language. That word neighbor means one near you. One near you. It's proximity. Notice when the priest sees the dead body or the half-beaten individual. He goes to the other side of the road. I want to get my proximity away from. I want to move away from. So one near you. So one near you means right now in this room, the people in this room, they are your neighbors. It may not be in an hour from now when you're in a restaurant, but the restaurant that you go to, those people become your neighbor. That waitress becomes your neighbor. That busboy becomes your neighbor. That clerk becomes your neighbor. As you get in your car and you're driving along the expressway, the other cars around you, they are your neighbor. The people that you office with, whether you know them or you don't, they are your neighbor. The people that you're standing in line with at the grocery store when you go pick something up this afternoon, they are your neighbor. The person in the movie theater sitting next to you are your neighbor. The person that's on the plane next to you is your neighbor. My neighbor is not the people that I know. My neighbor is not just the people that live down the street from me. My neighbor is not just someone who is my BFF and, and we've been around a long time. My neighbor is not just my extended family. My neighbor is anybody in whom I am in proximity to. That is my neighbor. Therefore, <laughs> this confluence of humanity coming together, we're all neighbors with one another. That's what Jesus said. It's not about the people that you're running with or the people that you're friends with or people you're on team with or people that you go to school with and your classmates with. 
It's anybody you are near in that moment. How much different would our life look if the people that we were going down the expressway with, we were kind and they were our, we treated them like our neighbor? How much different would it be if we were, if we're there, we, we, we treat them as our neighbor, that we just pay attention to who we're near to in that moment? A couple weeks ago, I was going to preach in Dallas and uh, I typically fly one airline and I flew another airline because I could get a direct flight. And so I flew and uh, got there, no big deal. And I'm pretty low key when I travel like that. And so I have my Bose headphones on and I'm just doing my stuff and I get in, get my seat and I'm doing that and just pretty chill. Uh, notice that we're sitting there for quite some time. So I'm listening. The pilot comes out and says, look, we've had a problem with, they're, they're thinking that the landing gear may not work. That's not a good, good sign, right? So there's been a mechanical, mechanical issue. And, um, and so anyhow, uh, we're going to see if we can fix it. So we've got to bring somebody in and bring somebody in. Da, 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 da. Anyhow, an hour and a half later, we get off the plane. And we're standing in, in, in Mitchell, you know, the, here at the Milwaukee airport. And, and it's just people everywhere. And, and I have no status with this airline. I don't, I don't typically fly this airline. So, I, I mean, it's like a two-hour wait. I'm, I'm texting my, my assistant going, hey, I think I may have to cancel this flight and do this. And, and they don't have a digital platform that I can move to another flight. And it's just, it's very, it's just wonky. And I'm just thinking, I've got a dinner meeting I've got to get to. I've got a breakfast meeting the next day. I've got this. And then I'm preaching. And I'm just, I've, I've got these, I've, I've, I've stacked everything up, right? And so... Uh, of course, I knew what I was doing for dinner, right? That's who I am. And so anyhow, so I've got all this stuff going and, um, and it's becoming apparent this is not really going. And my brain is kind of there, just to be honest with you. And this guy, business guy, lives in Texas, grew up on the east side of Milwaukee, is standing there and comes to me and says, do you know what's going on? And I said, no, I'm sorry, man, but I'm, this guy right here, he's, he's, you know, he's top tier with this airline and I'm waiting and I'm hoping that they get this thing fixed out and whatever, because if not, they're basically gonna bust us to Chicago for the night and I'm not doing that. I'll just get another ticket somewhere. So we're just having this conversation for a moment. He just starts telling me his life. And he's not a talker talker. I mean, he's a business guy. He's probably in sales. If he's not in sales, he's missing a really good opportunity. And he just starts telling me his stuff, right? And I'm thinking in my mind, did I tell him I'm a pastor? Because usually when you tell somebody you're a pastor, you get one or two responses. Either it's kind of the wall goes up, like, because they hate you. You are the arch enemy. You are everything that's bad in this world and that kind of a deal. Or it's like a confessional booth. Like you're the Catholic priest and they're just telling you all their stuff. And if they don't ask you and they start telling you, and then they use a pretty colorful language, but when they ask you at a certain point what you do for a living and you say you're a pastor, they're just like, oh, I'm just so sorry. You know, they're doing the whole thing. I mean, like, I'm just, I apologize, my language, everything. And I'm like, bro, it's not like I haven't heard the word before, okay? So we're, we're totally okay. So I'm just thinking, and this guy's just going, and I'm trying to pay attention to what's happening here at the desk because I know I got to get in line with 300 other people. And in that moment... I'm going, this is why I'm in this delay. Now I'm a type A person. I've got dinner reservations. I got a car to pick up. I've just, I, but in that moment, I'm like, this is why I'm here. And this guy's telling me, my mom died 10 years ago. We didn't talk the last 10 years she was alive. My dad hates me, hates my kids. We're very successful. My wife, I mean, he's just going, telling me all this stuff. And, and he said, I want out of this town so bad. I hate this city. I never want to come back to this state. And I'm just going, all this pain. And he's just telling me everything. And I thought, 
what he needs me to do in this moment is just to sit with him in the middle of his pain and just listen because nobody's listening. Compassion. It's just taking a moment. Because here's the thing I want you to get. Compassion has a cost. Compassion has a cost. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes you have to lower your RPMs and slow your roll, which is really hard for me to do. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's short-term. Sometimes it's long-term. See, it's one thing to hear the word of God. It's another thing to heed it, to listen to it, to act upon it. And the good Samaritan points to the great Samaritan, which is Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the greatest act of compassion ever. And I want to give you a statement today that I hope you remember, write down, think about. You can live a life of comfort or you can live a life of compassion, but you cannot live both. You can live a life of comfort or you can live a life of compassion, but you cannot live both. You can live a life of comfort, which is all about you and all about your agenda and all about what you want to do. And it's all about if it meets your profile, if it meets what you want to do, if it meets your level of success, if it meets all that, you can live your entire life that way. But you will not be able to operate in compassion because compassion requires you to do something. You can be in comfort and be empathetic. You can be in comfort and be sympathetic. You can be in comfort and be pathetic. It doesn't matter what etic you want to be. But you cannot live in comfort and actually operate with compassion. It's impossible because compassion requires that you do something. Compassion requires that you see it and that you act upon it, that you don't just distance yourself from it, but you're like, right now in this moment, my neighbor is that man that's hurting, that businessman. Right now in this moment, my neighbor is this person. I've just learned a long time ago, you listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit, to the the leading of the Lord, and, and that it's going to cost you something sometimes. I, w- I was at one of my favorite little haunts in, in Milwaukee. It's, a, it's this little breakfast place that I go to and it's 24 hours and just a great place. It's, it's not in a great neighborhood, but man, they're great service and they get my bacon right. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else? And my hash browns right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for hash browns. And I mean, they get the eggs right and everything and just, and, and there, it's just no, no fuss and it's just great. So I'm going there and I'm having, I'm having kind of breakfast and, 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 and I'm just eating, man. And it's a great time. And as I'm walking out to pay my bill, I see this grandmother and these two grandsons, probably nine, 10, 11, these two boys. And I'm just assuming that it's a grandmother. And so it just, just, it just looked like that. And so the grandmother, grandsons, and it was, as I was walking just right past their table, don't know them, never met them still have not met them. I just felt the leading of the Holy Spirit, you need to pick up their tab. You, you, seem to, you just need to pay. You don't need to pay and give a gospel track. You don't need to pay and come back and say, hey, I'm Pastor Aaron Cole. I'm the pastor of Life Church. We have four campuses, just in case you want to know. They're in da, 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 da. No, I don't need to do anything. I just need to, in that moment, I'm a man of authority, but I'm a man under authority. And this is what the Holy Spirit's asking me to do. And I've learned a long time ago, you, don't, you do not argue with the Lord. Not because, you, not because it's not good, but it also gonna cost you a whole lot more if you argue. Because if, if the Lord says, give something, I say, here it is, man, get it out, right there you go. Because if not, it's gonna be double or triple. I'm just telling you. I've had more convers- times where I've just ran past that, got in my car, left, felt such conviction to turn around, go back, have to explain myself and unpack it or miss the moment and feel like, what did I miss? Compassion does something. You go, that's no big deal. It was no big deal to me. 
except just to be obedient. So when I went to the, to the, to the pay my bill, I just said, look, the lady right over here, have they already ordered everything? Yeah. With the two grand, said, yeah, yeah. I just want to pay for it. I don't know her. I don't want it. I don't need to know her. I don't need her to know me. I just want to pay for it. And she looked at me. I said, just all of it. She's got the same waitress that I do. I'll, I'll tip. I'll tip really well. Just let her, tell her everything's covered. That's all I'm supposed to do. I pay the bill and I go on. I don't know if it was for the benefit of that grandmother. I don't know if it's the benefit of that waitress. I don't know if it's the benefit of, of the clerk. At the, I don't know. All I know is that's what I'm supposed to do. Because you see something, you kind of go, I just feel like I'm supposed to meet that need. I feel like I'm supposed to do I feel like I'm supposed to. It costs you something. And the last thing is that compassion expands through partnerships. Compassion expands. It works. It operates through partnerships. I want you to check this out. The Samaritan did what he could in the short term. Right, so he sees the man, he, he, he takes, him, takes him on his own beast, takes him to the inn, cleans him up, gets him all set up, stays there with him for the day, and then he leaves the next day. He's no longer critical, and he passes him off, he partners with the innkeeper. I've never, I've never really paid attention to this before re- pre- preaching this message, but the innkeeper, the innkeeper shows compassion too. Because the innkeeper doesn't look at the Samaritan and says, oh, no, 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 buddy. No, not so fast. If, if, listen, you're going to give me some money to cover some days. If it goes expired, I'm not paying for this. I'm not doing this. This is your problem, not mine. I have no way. I, I need a prepaid credit card. I need da, da, da. He doesn't do any of that. He literally says, okay. And he partners together. This reminds me of you. Three and a half years ago, when I stood before you as a congregation and said, we need to do something in the city of Milwaukee. We need to do something for Milwaukee. We, we were faced with a Good Samaritan moment as a church as there was a church of 30 people that basically was, was at 56th and Burleigh, which was right in the heart of, of where we felt like God was calling us to go. And they needed someone to step up. And so not for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the city, you stepped up. And we said, we'll take that on as a campus. We weren't even looking for a campus. We were looking to do some outreach. We were not looking for a campus, but because there were 30 people there, we felt like we should. And the next Sunday, they, the church grew from 30 to like six. I mean, I'm just telling you, just great growth that first week because people were gone and leaving and whatever. And it was just this building, but there had been a church there. So we needed to do something. Why? Because of the sake of the city. The city I'm talking about is Milwaukee. The statistics in Milwaukee on poverty, it's the fifth most impoverished city in America. 29% of the population are under the poverty line. The national average of any other city in America is 14%. 43% of the children in Milwaukee live in poverty. So it's less than eight miles from here to there, to that campus at 56th and Burleigh, the way the crow flies. 80% of children qualify for free or reduced lunch in Milwaukee. Crime, it's the nation's fifth most dangerous city per capita behind St. Louis, Detroit, Birmingham, and Memphis. Segregation, according to the latest U.S. Census analysis, Milwaukee is the most segregated city in the country. Over 50% of black men have been incarcerated in Milwaukee County, and Milwaukee County has the biggest achievement gap between white and black students anywhere in the country. Education, Milwaukee has one of the most underachieving school districts in the country. I'm not disparaging the school teachers. I'm not disparaging the administration. I'm not disparaging the the kids. I'm just telling you the statistics. The graduation rate at MPS is 60% compared to our state average in Wisconsin at 89%. 
If that happened in any other city or county in the state, parents would be enraged. Unemployment, the, the, the black male unemployment rate in Milwaukee is at 53%. And if a man doesn't have a job and a purpose and a reason, there is despair and depression and depravity that, that overtakes. These aren't my ideas. These are just statistics that, the, that you, you can go on a US Gov and you can pull these numbers and these statistics. It's out there, it's there. And this is a city that is our neighbor. They are in physical proximity to us. And you have so incredibly had compassion. It's a city that we've been called to pastor. And so over the past three years, we, we've been developing food pantry where we're serving dozens of families every single weekend. This afternoon from noon to two, the food pantry's open and they come through, they, they pick the goods in the, that they need and then they go right on and it's there. And right now because of supply chain with COVID, we've not been able to get wholesale deals at this point. So we're paying retail. And at this point, we will invest over $150,000 cash as a church. You will give just to feed people in the city of Milwaukee. Families that will pull up at 56th and Burleigh, get out of their car, go grab a cart, grab the things that they need, and then and, and not have to pay anything for fresh, good food and produce. Adopter block, we've been working around the neighborhood, working with the families, helping to clean up the neighborhood, helping to work just to get to know. And if you ever want to know the people in the neighborhood, just call the church office. We'll set up a time and Pastor Robert, our campus pastor, he can take you around because Robert knows everybody and everybody knows Robert. Outreaches from Thanksgiving to Christmas to the 4th of July, we're doing things. Renovations, we spent a million dollars in that facility because the, the, it was the original asbestos tile that was in the floor in the basement from 1953. We had to spend a quarter million dollars of that million just on electrical so we could plug in a toaster and a, and a crock pot at the same time without blowing a fuse, right? So in order to have a computer lab and do all this stuff for after school programming and everything we wanna do, and that's already been paid for. That's not loaned for, that's paid for. We don't owe free and clear because of your generosity. So this is the thing we've been wanting to do, after school program. It's been a part of the vision from the very beginning, but we knew we needed to, to, to uh, renovate. Uh, we knew the MPS was gonna eventually, uh, this past year, everything's been basically virtual, and so we haven't been able to do anything that way. Uh, and the time is now for us to add this next layer to what we're doing in the city of Milwaukee. They are our neighbor. And we believe this is the best opportunity. And so I always have to give you the why behind what we're doing. So before we wrap everything up, I want you to check this video out really quick. Hey, my name's Tyler Herring. I'm the director of Life Center Milwaukee. Life Center is a nonprofit resource center in the city with the goal of providing hope and restoration to families and individuals. Right now, we're gonna get the perspective of different individuals that work in our city, that work around and with our children. First, we're gonna hear from Tawny Harmon and Harvey Mills. They work at Townsend Street School. Let's check it out. Hello, my name is Harvey Mills. Uh, been with NPS for about 15 years. Um, my role is parent coordinator. Some of the challenges that students face at home are gun violence, domestic violence, uh, abandoned neighborhoods, prostitution, drug infestation. 
So the stressors from home really carry into the school setting. Um, it affects the student's ability to focus, to maintain on task. A lot of times they're thinking about things that are going on at home or just, you know, where they're gonna sleep that night if they're doubled up with other family members. And I think it's all tied into uh, learning abilities. Uh, sometimes or so many times we have staff or students uh, who's not getting that proper uh, time uh, to learn anything. Um, and and then as a, as a uh, result of that, they tend to act out in class and get in trouble, get into fights, and end up possibly getting suspended. Uh, I consider after school programs as a safe and supportive place for students, but I also feel that it's a place where parents get a peace of mind. They get the opportunity to get help with their homework. There's more exposure to books and literacy. And also then there's always that recreational and the physical um, opportunities, getting a chance to burn off some of that energy. And it just really overall, it helps the child to thrive both you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Now we're going to get the perspective of one of our Milwaukee Police Department officers, Officer Bowie Buckner. And after that, we're going to hear from somebody who grew up in Milwaukee and knows what it's like to be a kid in the city, our own Pastor Robert Bell. I work out of District 7. My assignment there is the Community Liaison Officer. So I do a lot of community outreach and I do a lot of block watch and other safety type of meetings. Being on the streets, the crimes I mainly see young, younger people committing are, are thefts, especially package theft, but also the stolen vehicle. The average age when we arrest someone for operating a vehicle without owner's consent, so driving a stolen vehicle, is 13 to 16 years old. And we, we've had younger than 13, uh, but the average age is 13 to 16. It's the, mainly the young people that are, are stealing these cars. I feel that after school programs would be a huge benefit to kids that are, are in this situation, the kids I'm talking about that are out there stealing cars that are doing these crimes. I think it's very important for them to have some type of structured, supervised environment where they have something to do. A lot of these kids are just doing this because they're out there with, with other kids their age. They have nothing to do. They're, they're under the age of 16, so they're not working. They, can't, they don't have any money to go do anything. So they're out there with their friends and, and they're stealing these cars for fun, whereas after school programs can give them an alternative, something else to do, okay, instead of just roaming the streets and trying to come up with something to do for kicks, we can go here, it's supervised, it's safe, it's structured, and we, we can still have fun, still hang out with our friends, and not get into trouble, not break any laws, and, and not possibly end up getting arrested. Hey everybody, my name is Robert Bell. I'm the pastor here at the Life Church Milwaukee campus. Growing up in the inner city as a kid was hard for me uh, because I wasn't living. It was like I was in survival. And there's a difference between living and survival. Like right now I'm living uh, because God has graced me, you know. I thank God for that. But all my life it was, it was survival for me in the inner city. And um, in my household, looking at my neighbors, all my friends, everybody was surviving. So that type of lifestyle, uh, comes with uh, uh, stealing and, 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 and violence. And then as, as time went on, prison for me and things like that, you know. I, I, I believe a, a program like Life Center is vital in the inner city communities because it gives the children a place to come and to feel welcome, a place to belong, 
place to learn, a place to have fun. We can't forget that. I just want to, you know, when I was a kid, I just liked to have fun, you know what I'm saying? If I would have had the opportunity to uh, be involved in an after-school program, I think if I would have had something like that, you know, it would have probably took me in a whole nother direction. I'm grateful for Life City after-school program. And last but not least, we're going to hear from Jed and Julie Chapel, the founders of City Center in Oklahoma City. We're going to hear about the success they've had in their community with their after-school program. City Center is a resource center for under-resourced families and at-risk youth. We realized in the after-school hours, there's a lot of young people that don't have access to, to mentors and to, uh, to people that can help them with their school and their, their homework and, and things like that. So we wanted to provide a space that was a safe space for young people to come to in those after-school hours as well. We don't exist without volunteers and without our donor supporters. Yeah. Man, we have tons of donor partners. Without donors, it just doesn't happen. So we, we see donors, uh, donations come in from foundations, from individuals, from churches, from volunteers. Um, volunteers that come into our doors, we consider that a donation. Your time is invaluable to us. It's so valuable, we can't even place a dollar amount on that. Thank you for your support. Whether you pray, serve, or give, we need people like you to make this after-school program a success. You can partner with us in all three ways today. 